Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. We are a member of the Edify Podcast Network, and this is episode 24 of season two. I really hope you checked out last week's episode with Dr. Sean McDowell. We had a great discussion about apologetics, relationships, and sexual purity. Hopefully you got a copy of my new devotional, Eyes on Jesus. I know a lot of people are grabbing extra copies for their small groups and also for Christmas presents, so make sure you check it out on Amazon. There's a link in the show notes. I would encourage you to find me at faithful.place. It's a new social media site for Christian content creators. Honestly, I'm very frustrated with Instagram, Facebook. Their models make it really hard for people that follow you to actually see your content. Faithful does a great job of giving you the content you want to see and also allows me to provide exclusive content strictly for my faithful followers. I'm growing a discernment disciple community on there, so make sure you check out the link in the show notes to get there. And for today, I'm talking to my friend Troy. He has a new book called Fatherhood Face Plans, and I'm excited to talk to him right now. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Well, welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. I'm here today with Troy Magnum. He is an author, a speaker, and a podcaster of the podcast, The Kindling Fire. Troy is a men's advocate, and his newest book is Fatherhood Face Plants. Troy lives in North Carolina with his wife. They have two sons, two daughters, and one son-in-law. Can't forget about the son-in-law. So, Troy, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on, Tim. Yeah, of course. You know, we've... Uh, We've chatted, emailed um, off and on here for a while, and you've written a blog on my site. And so it's good to talk to you. Yeah, I can't say in person. It's good to talk to you on Zoom because that's what we do now. But, um, you know, we've we've kind of just uh, you've been a good encouragement to me in my ministry when I've been starting. And I've been excited to see your new book come out and um, excited to talk to you about it and the work God's doing in your life. So if you want to give everyone just a more of an overview about yourself and kind of how you got to this point in your life. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've been married about 25 years, and you said I've got uh, four kids, and and uh, I am in marketing for work. I actually work in the technology field, and um, but I uh, have a very—I <laughs> don't know what you would call it. I have a very active. Uh, I just I want to do more things, and so I have the podcast, I have the book, and and um, you know I just have just launched into some new stuff, trying to help younger men with something called Hachoka. And uh, so I find myself, I like being busy. And so that's kind of, that's my MO. I don't watch a lot of TV. I'll put it that way. <laughs> that's good. Doing work for the kingdom. That's awesome. And so the kindling fire, uh, what, tell us, I know that I know a little bit about backstory, the name, but tell us where you got the name. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so the idea of it really was you know, I believe that God wants to reach the world through individuals in a very unique way. And I want to be a part of that process to help spur and encourage people on to do what God's called them to do. Yeah. And so to me, it's sort of like a small fire. You know, God, our, our, where we're going in life, where God's calling us into this huge bonfire with lots of heat and light and, and you know, life. But when it's really small, you need a lot of encouragement. You need protection. And so I kind of position my podcast as sort of you can do this. You know, it's kind of like yeah. I'm the voice of encouragement early on when people are in those early stages of dreams and callings 
and it's very tenuous. And yeah. so that's kind of where I, that's kind of my sweet spot. I try to encourage people to kind of get going. Yeah. I love that because, you know, uh, a lot of times the church does a disservice to people when we just focus on new converts. And even though it's an awesome thing when people come to Jesus and the, the best decision they could make at the end of that, you know, what happens after the altar call, you know, how do we disciple people? How do we help them grow, answer questions? And that's one of the big focuses of having discernment, making decisions that honor God. And, you know, when, when we just come out of that experience and are a new Christian, we're faced with all these questions. And a lot of times in, in many cases, you know, the church doesn't like you to question your faith or to ask questions or to have someone there to help mentor you and disciple you. And some churches are doing great at that, I'm sure, but there's also a lot of a lot of people that feel, you know, empty. What's my next step? How do I read the Bible? How do I, how do I pray? All these, you know, basic things that if you've been a Christian for a while, you take for granted. But those are real questions that a lot of new believers have. That if there's not someone to come alongside them, they're left wondering or they just go right back to the the thing that they know, which is the old lifestyle, which we don't want. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to put it. So we'll talk about your book, but uh, anything else, you know, as far as being a Christian yourself, how long have you been a Christian? When did you kind of, uh, you know, accept Christ and what was that process like for you? Yeah. So, so I accepted Christ when I was in college, uh, when I was 19, I am a lot older than that now, and I don't (laughs) want to do the math, but I'm over 50. And, um, and so how I came to faith was the short story of it is I was, uh, and fairly staunch atheist. And uh, I had a friend of mine, we were all in this very prolific music scene. And he had become a born again Christian. And most of the people in the music scene were not, nobody was Christians. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and so he became a Christian. And I just never understood. And we ended up going to college together, like years later, I kind of lost touch with him. And he would tell me about Jesus. And I was like, you know, I'm like, I'm just doing college and I'm glad you found whatever you found, but I'm not looking. Yeah. And so he started praying this very dangerous prayer for me. And he said that he started praying that God would reveal himself to me in a supernatural, undeniable way through drugs, which I was doing a lot of at the time or through my dreams. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. I was on drugs um, one evening as a freshman in college and God supernaturally revealed himself to me in a sort of um, encounter with the devil, basically mm. through some other people that were possessed that I was with. Wow. And short of it is, uh, after that I could unequivocally not deny that I knew there was a God. Yeah. Absolutely. And then he was the first person to say, Hey, let's go to this Christian campus thing. And I said, hold on, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ease into this. So it took me about eight months after that. And then I finally just gave up my whole lifestyle and just said, I'm going to follow Jesus for real. Got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. Now it's called Crew. And I was very deeply involved in that as a young Christian. Wow, that's a great story. And it's one of those things that I almost wish everyone at some point could have those spiritual blinders off, you know, in a miraculous way. And God does that in a lot of cases like yours. And it's it's one of those things also, I wonder where you know, God does that in certain circumstances for certain people, but also, you know, he also equips you and draws you to him so that you can tell others. And through that testimony, that becomes the light to others, even though they may not have that miraculous moment. You know, I've I've talked to many people that have encountered Jesus or have a a miraculous testimony, and, and those are amazing stories, but it also propels you to tell others that may not have had that to believe, you know, that's what the disciples did. They walked with Jesus so that they could go tell what they witnessed and and experienced and then do the signs and wonders themselves. 
And a lot of that is, is lost when we keep our testimony to ourselves or when we're quiet about the hope that lies within us, then we're doing anyone and everyone we come into contact with a disservice if they don't know Jesus. And in, in America, we assume oh, everyone knows Jesus. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is they don't, or if they think they do, they don't know the real Jesus of the Bible. And so that's why our testimony is more powerful than a lot of times we uh, give it credit for, I'm afraid. Yeah, amen. That's a great way to say it. Cool. So, uh, you know, we're going to move on to discernment as we talk about that on the show, making decisions that honor God. And, and I love your story. I know a little bit about it, um, but how specifically when God called you to the mission field and how you gave up everything to follow him, you know, I yeah. wonder if you could talk us through that, that discernment process, hearing from God, making a huge decision like that, knowing it was God, you know, what are some key pieces out of that, that you would share with our listeners who might make a similar decision or feel a calling that God has placed on their heart that they, that they don't want to make that giant leap for. Yeah. So, so let's start with where it comes from. Yeah. Uh, in this particular case, um, this call to missions came from my wife. And, um, and so there was a time in my life when I thought, well, if any big thing's going to happen in my family, God's probably going to talk to me about it first. <laughs> well, God had kind of deconstructed that, whatever that was, pride yeah. or misunderstanding of how God could work. And um, in this particular thing, I literally had no visibility into. I, I was busy in my work world. Um, we had just dropped off our oldest daughter after high school to, to be a missionary with Youth with a Mission. And then in that time of dropping off my daughter, the Lord just started to whisper an idea to my wife saying, you know, you could do this too. Mm. You guys could be missionaries. And this had been a dream of ours in our 20s when we mm. gotten, when we were early married. But, you know, life catches up to us and we never fulfilled that dream or that yeah. desire. And so it, it just kind of, you know, stirred in her mind. Eventually she came to me and said, I think the Lord might be inviting us to do this. And I was mm. like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know how much we have to lose? <laughs> you yeah. Because I, I had two kids in college at the time and. And, you know, mortgage and suburban lifestyle and whatever, you know. And sure. so, um, but I said, well, I mean, I'll, I'll pray about it, but this is just like coming out of left field. <laughs> and so as I prayed about it, the desire to do it went through the roof. Mm. Uh, I never really heard God say go um, in those early days, but the desire to do it was like, you know, we've always wanted to do this. Could we do something this radical at our age? when we, we, we had quote, nothing to lose in our twenties, sure. you, know, you know, we could yeah. just kind of make this radical decision with no cost. Uh, now we have a lot of costs. I could, I could ruin a lot of things for my children and, and our lives. And, and so, but the desire grew in me so strong and she still had the desire. And so we basically went to prayer and said, okay, Lord, how, and one of the things he laid in our hearts very clearly was keep the house because mm. you could just sell the house. Right. And, yeah. and, and all that. But we always felt for, and this took, so just to be clear, this process was two years mm. from, from inception of idea to going. Yeah. So in that two year period, we were like, okay, well then how else? And then the Lord was like, I want you to kind of raise support and, you know, kind of use some of your savings and do both. And I had to go through that doorway because I had people judging me. They're like, well, you have a job and you have a house and you have these <laughs> things. Why are you asking for support? 
Mm. You know, and I had a lot of people judge me, actually. Wow. Uh, why aren't you an entrepreneur? Why don't you just make your own money? That's irresponsible. And on and on and on it went. Wow. Like nobody was excited we were going to be reaching, telling people <laughs> that they were just all upset. They were like, well, why would you ever ask for money? Yeah. Which was so fun. And, <laughs> but yeah. the short of it was, I mean, I knew God had spoken. And, and then what happened was we got to the point where we crossed the line. I, I was going to ask for a sabbatical for my work. That didn't work out. And so I just said, okay, I'm quitting. And my wife was like, yeah, like this is what we've been going for for this long. Mm. And so, okay. And I basically mapped it out and said, okay, I can, we can financially, I think we can keep the house to, by the time we get back. But then that's it. Like if things don't happen quick. If we get back and well, this like there's going to be a lot of dominoes that mess up if yeah. this work out, like I think. And so I went, we went, we went to the Philippines. We went training in Hawaii and then went to the Philippines and it was miraculous. And we saw like 100, I think about 120 people, just our family alone saved wow. uh, and brought into the kingdom of God. And, and then when it all finished, the Lord kind of led us back into suburban, it, suburban lifestyle, if you will, yeah. providing me a job and wasn't calling us in a long-term missions. And the day I got my first paycheck was the day I ran out of money. Wow. And, and it was a, and the kids stayed in college. Um, you know, we didn't lose the house, all the financial ruin that I had pictured in my mind. Yeah. None of it happened. Zero. Ha but I worried about it and I wasted so much time. I wish I had more faith during yeah. that time. So. Man, that's so good. And there's so many key elements in that story about discernment. And, you know, I love how you took time to hear from God and plan it out because just because it's a vision from God doesn't mean that we have to be careless in how we execute it. You know, God gives you something and I'm going to do it tomorrow and just throw caution to the wind. No, you can still have caution and, and, but you still need faith to follow through on that vision. That doesn't mean that all the chips are going to line up and you're going to know what the next two years look like, but you can walk in faith uh, in the right timing. And a lot of times God places things in our hearts that take years to mature and, and to see it through, uh, through in our training that he's equipping us and that the people around us. And so that's one of the things. And I, I always say, take the urgency out of making decisions. You know, a lot of times we just, you know, God puts it in our heart and I want to do it right now, but maybe not, maybe God's calling you to wait on it and to, to grow that seed into something bigger. And then the other part of that, that really struck me was the fact that, you know, we don't need the approval of people to follow through on the vision God gives us. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we're not accountable to people. We're accountable to God, even though it's nice to have it. And, you know, we should listen to mentors that God's placed in our life at the same time. You know, if, if God's only given you and you should be in alignment with your spouse, like you guys were, but at the same time, you know, uh, if God's given you the vision, you know, I've heard this said before, you know, the, the call of God on your life wasn't a conference call with many other people. It was between you and God, you know, and I love that because God places specific things in our hearts and it might look like foolishness to the world, but that's oftentimes what God does. And that's, that's the, the cool part about a God story like that is that you lived on faith. You know, you saw the money run out right at the end. And, and I the, say it, it scared people, our circle of our, our people, it made them nervous. Yeah, wow. I mean, they were like, what are you going to do about insurance? And what about this? And what about that? And it, Our faith and what, I mean, it just made people uncomfortable. Now, there were people that came alongside of us and said, I believe. Yeah. Here's, you know, we're going to come alongside and support you. We're still worried. But, but <laughs> then when we were able to have that testimony that God took care of every detail, everything. 
Yeah. Um, it was a, a powerful testimony. You're like, oh, wow, God really can be trusted. So. Yeah. I know you have a bunch of things you learned on the mission field. Can you just share a couple of them with us? Wow. Um, I think the big lesson I learned is that God doesn't need our talent. Mm. And what I mean by that is that I think that we, we overemphasize our abilities uh, in insights and talent to deliver certain things. And, and the reality of it is God is very, very capable to use us as his vessel to communicate his gospel and, and extend his kingdom. Yeah. And, um, and he uses our talent, but, but we got in situations where we were physically sick. We had interpersonal situations with other missionaries, families, we went as families and it was a very lot of stress. And so there were times when I was just like, I felt weak. I just felt, we all did. We felt weak. We felt incapable. We felt tired. And then God would move. Yeah. It would be like, Lord, you don't even need my strength. You just need my <laughs> willingness to say, I'm willing to do this. Yeah. And I will take my weak vessel and give it to you. And you'll be amazed what God will do with that. Yeah. That's really good. You know, we, we can get puffed up in our pride, you know, even just serving a church, you know, God needs me to do this. God needs me to do that. And, and like you said, God doesn't need us. He wants us to do that out of the joy of our heart and the talents he's given us and to serve with compassion and, and generosity. But at the same time, you know, God uses, I mean, just look at the characters in the Bible. God uses multiple kinds of people that were not equipped for the job, but God called them anyway. And as long as we have the heart of Isaiah that says, here I am, Lord, send me. That's yeah. all that God looks for is a willing vessel to be used by God, because at the end of the day, God gets the glory when it's not us that are doing the work and trying to do it in our own effort. But we let God use us. And then out of that comes the fruit of, of a testimony of, hey, it was all God. I was just a willing vessel. And then people catch yeah. on to that. Oh, if God used you, maybe he can use me, too. And then, yes, God can. <laughs> yeah, it, there's some we, we people are just not aware how reluctant we are. Uh, until you really say, I'm going to follow you for real, for real, put a yeah. lot of things on the line. There's more reluctance in us than I think we admit. Yeah. Um, and the, when, when we say, when I say, give God your yes, uh, it's like in, in times of trial and hardship, you know, give them your yes. You'll yeah. see God, you know? Well, and it's, you know, if, if you're going to pray a prayer and I, I think you mentioned dangerous prayers, which is also a great book by Craig Groeschel, by the way, I'll plug that um, for free, but Hey, you know, if you're going to pray a dangerous prayer, mean it. And if you mean to say, God, use me or God, you know, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. He might take you up on that. Oftentimes he will. And, you know, often the fear is, well, if I give my life to God, he's going to cause, call me to be a missionary to a far off country. Maybe, but it's also, you know, he will plant that desire in you like you had. You know, he, at the right time, he will plant that desire. He will equip you, give you the right resources to do it. It's not out of fear. And you're like, oh, I have to go do this for God now. It's like, no, you have that joy to be able to do that for God. And the joy that the, the desire he puts on you will be a joy. And so that's what we have to kind of realign ourselves with is that when you give yourself to God, it's a, it's, it may be a hard journey. It may be, you know, there'll be times when you have to rely on God fully, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, you can look back on that journey and say, God was with me and uh, have, I now have a testimony to share with others. Yeah. Amen. That's so good. This podcast is part of the Edify podcast network. Edify is a faith inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. 
Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Speaking of, the way, of that, it is a, a daily journey to, to walk with God and to, to hear from him. And so the, that's why I wanted to focus on what we do every day to keep our eyes on Jesus, because if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus, it's on something else and our eyes get distracted on the things that uh, are alluring or things that are, are vying for our time. And so what have you found in your life as practical steps to keep your eyes on Jesus every day that you can share with us? Yeah. So in 2019, I had a lot going on, like I've said. And I, and I was struggling to prioritize. And I felt like the Lord said, uh, gave me a word for 2020, and that was focus. Mm. And I was like, awesome. He's going to give me the focus of how to prioritize my task. <laughs> and, and he says, focus on my face. Mm. And I was like, well, how do you do that, God? <laughs> so all of 2020 was a year of learning how to do that. And how I, I got into meditative prayer and, and what that meant for me was instead of asking God for things, I just let go of things. Mm. Lord, I let go of my wife, my children, my ambitions, my dreams, my job, like on and on. And I would say, Lord, is there any more I need to let go of? And, I, and then I would get to this point where I was just like, Lord, I think I've let go of everything. And Lord, it's just me yeah. and you. And I just want to focus on you. I'm not here asking or or you know, saying scriptures by faith and try to obtain and move forward. I was just being with God, being with Jesus. Yeah. And it, it, and it transformed my whole life. So it really helped me to focus on Jesus by just letting go of things. That was a practical step instead of always just coming in his presence and asking and asking and asking. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, I've had the same realization recently uh, from some sermons at our church about prayer, you know, not just coming to God as a cosmic genie asking for things, but actually coming with a thankful heart, what you might ask for, turn it around and thank God for, you know, if it's a health issue, God, thank you that I'm alive, that I can proclaim your name today. Thank you that you've sustained me. Thank you for these things. You know, if it's a financial issue, God, thank you that we have food. Thank you that we have a house. Thank you for this. And having that heart of thankfulness and like you said, releasing things to God that we tried to hold on so tightly to. And I like, the, I heard this too, you know, we're not, when we pray, we're not giving God new information. <laughs> you know, a lot of times we come to God, he's like, I need to, I need to, I need to fill you in on this so you can fix it. Not realizing that, that God already knows the ins and outs of everything in our life. And so why not just release the things that we're trying to hold on to, like you're saying to God and thanking him for what he's provided us for. And then from there, I think a lot of that aligns us with his will, which is what prayer should be. You know, I mean, we can ask for things, but at the same time, we should be praying along the lines of God's will. And how do we know God's will unless we're aligned with the Holy Spirit inside of us and aligned with uh, keeping our eyes on Jesus? We're going to pray our will, which ends up being selfish prayers that we end up regretting later. And so uh, it's, it's, it's been an amazing journey for me too. And I find myself in the same thing. You know, I go back to the default of, you know, if I'm not thinking about prayer, I just go in and I'm just, please God for this, this, and this. And I have to really stop myself and say, okay, this is my time with you to understand your heart. What do you want to say to me? And just be quiet before God too, you know, for a period of time, listen, reflect, uh, release. I think those are just great strategies for uh, intimacy with God, which is ultimately what prayer is it's a way to be intimate with God, to strengthen our relationship with Him, and to grow uh, our spiritual connection with Him. 
that uh, we can't do uh, just by being focused on the problems in front of us. Yeah, I'll say the thing that I, one thing that I've learned quickly is that, you know, you keep asking God to have a conversation that he doesn't want to have. <laughs> it's going to be pretty quiet. Yeah. And you keep asking and keep asking. And a wise man or woman will basically at one point say, you know what, Lord, you don't want to talk about this. What would you like to talk about? Yeah. I will let go of that concern and I'll open myself up to what you want to talk about. And you'll be surprised that God had actually some other things he wanted to cover, but you would never have heard it because you weren't willing. Yeah, that's well said. Absolutely. Well, let's, t- let's talk about your book, Fatherhood Face Plants. Uh, tell us just a little bit of overview of, uh, of the book and uh, kind of why you wrote it. Yeah, so basically the overview of the book is that I believe that men pass on, fathers specifically pass on who they are more than what they know. And so the book is really a journey on how God took me, a fairly, not fairly, a very broken man, and made me into a very whole, healed, healthy, uh, good dad and husband along the way. Mm. And, and the lessons that he taught me along that process. Um, and so that's, and so I basically wrote the book for what I would call fatherless sons. So these are men that find themselves in situations uh, as husbands and fathers, but don't really feel like they are well equipped to be there Mm. uh, through their, their own family upbringing. And it's about how God fills in the gap between maybe what you experienced as a child as in what family was like and how you do with stress and sins and all the other things yeah to how god would father us and train and teach us to become good godly men husbands and fathers and so there's some powerful lessons kind of god showed me along a probably a 20-year period Mm. and so that's what the book's about yeah so so you've been writing it for a long time even though you didn't know it yeah oh man it's like one of those things where God gave me revelation years and years ago about things, but there was still life to be lived. There was still the living out of the lessons. Yeah. And I was wanting to, at that time, be quick to get the lesson out, and it hasn't even been proven in my life. Mm. And so this book definitely has the proving ground of a life where I'm not just talking about something that I understand. It's something that I've lived and has changed my family. Yeah. And that's, that's a big part of discernment is he- hearing from people who have gone on before us or have more knowledge about a specific area and learning from that. So you don't have to make the same mistake twice. And, and so uh, this book is so important, especially for fathers, you know, women listening, get it for your, for your husbands, you know, really encourage them to, to read this because there's a lot of great, it's, a, you know, a practical read. There's, you're not bogged down by just stuff. It's, it's your life. You're, you're, you're writing about your life and what you learned along the way. And you're very vulnerable about, you know, lessons that uh, you learn through both good and bad circumstances. And so there was a, uh, advice that you got from a friend who said uh, to go low and trust big. And this was a, an advice yeah. that turned your family around. Can you tell us about that a little bit and what that meant for you? Yeah. So at the time, um, it was during a dark season of our family when I was separated from my wife. And uh, we had gotten to that separation through a lot of contention, a lot of years of hurt. And uh, when we were separated, you know, I wanted us to be back together, but I also wanted to win. (laughs) And I wanted to, you know, I still wanted to, I kind of wanted it on my terms. Yeah. And, and I had a good dear friend of mine who, uh, who had, 
just had a lot of seasons with ministering with men and has seen a lot of marriages kind of disintegrate in ministry. Sure. Basically said, my advice to you is very simple. Go low. Always take the humble position on any situation Mm. and trust big, meaning radically trust God will turn situations around. And at the time it was, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find the word for it, risky advice. Yeah. Uh, it felt like, oh, great. So you're telling me to just completely make myself a doorman in this situation to be taken advantage of. Mm, Is that yeah. what you're telling me and, and say that's faith? You know, <laughs> and so I was not like well receptive to the re- when I first received the information. Yeah. As, but the wisdom of it started to grow in my life. And I said, and the Lord always honors humility. I don't care what yeah. the, how bad it goes. God will honor you if you're humble. Yep. And so I started so to say, you know what, I'm going to be humble. And to do that, I had to trust God because I was going to stop defending myself. I was going to stop fighting. I was going to stop fighting for my rights or whatever I thought I should and and just let God take care of it. And yeah. it absolutely was the key piece of information over a, a two-year period that really turned our entire family around. So you need to hear that it was a two-year period. And I'm still taking that humble road. Uh, God's advice sometimes doesn't mean it's something you do one time and you get this big jackpot windfall. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's consistency and being faithful to things God tells you to do. And then you, the reward is reaped. That's good. That's just practical in marriage. You know, if you try to win the fight, you're going to lose the battle. And, you know, I found that in my life, if I've won the argument, quote, quote, and I feel all good, I actually, I actually lost because it might've been at the expense of my wife's heart, or maybe I said something that hurt her, even though I made my point really solid. And, you know, uh, that's, that's a really good check just as far as I think as, as husbands, as uh, a spousal unit, and even as parents, you know, um, not just saying things without understanding your children's heart for one, you know, you might say something that is hurtful. You might just make a great point as a parent that just goes right over their head and they don't understand the whys of it you know, if you, you know, one of the things like, you know, just do as I say, not as I do. Uh, and then they're compliant without actually being, comp- you know, compassionate towards them of, of as far as why am I following you other than just, you said, so there's so much more that we can connect with people other than just me winning, me making the best point, me getting through to them to just comply as opposed to explaining. And like you said, you can never go wrong being humble. And that's so important. If you don't know what to do, be humble. Yeah, and that's such good advice. And, and, and it takes faith. That's faith in action. Humility is faith in action. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the lessons you talk about is also how personal victories become your children's inheritance. Can mm-hmm. you explain what you mean by children inherit the land of their father, uh, the land that their father possesses? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so there was an obscure verse. Um, I'm going to read it to you. It's Psalm 69, 35, and 36. And it says, For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. And I remember reading that, and, and the Lord just kind of put stopped me in my tracks and said, Read that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I read it yeah. again. And he said, the people will settle there and possess it. And he said, who are those people? And he said, well, it's, it's, it's adults. It's the parents. Yeah. And he said, well, what will the children inherit? 
if they possess the land, so the land represents a promise of God. In Israel's time, it was a physical land, but in our New Testament times, it's God's promises, you know, in his, in the Bible that he has promised to us. And if you step into that, then your children will inherit uh, the victories you gain in that. And in in the, the little details of that was God says, that's your inheritance. Oh, and by the way, there's all these demons and devils and and people there that are killing babies and and you need to deal with them. Mm. Right. And so what ended up happening with most of them is they made some treaty compromise or made a um, a co-living existence with the people in the in the promised land. Yeah. And so they said, you guys will become our servants. So then they become the servants. They raise their children and they teach them about false gods. Yeah. And so they're compromised as parents, not fully obeying and fully possessing the land that, that God gave them. They they gave their children an inheritance of idolatry. They gave their children an inheritance of compromise. Yeah. You know, and they and they passed on something that was subpar because of their disobedience. Mm. So it's a really a call to men and in any parent to say, if God has promised you something in the Bible, do everything you can to possess it and be obedient, because yeah. then that becomes your children's starting point. It doesn't guarantee they won't sin, but now you've given them such a leg up on the, in their, their own race of life with the right. Lord. Yeah, and that's why generational sins are so addictive and passed on to the next generations, because it's what you know. It's what your children have seen. It's what they've experienced. And so then you, you find that generations of alcoholism or whatever the sin might be, instead of breaking it and saying, no, this is not going to pass on past this point. And like you said, there's still free will and children can do what they want. But at the same time, you're starting them off on a path that is available to have all the knowledge so that they can make the best decisions. You're not putting them along that path where they can be just burdened down by the same sins that their father and grandfather have done. You know, I heard this it's very similar at a recent men's conference. They said, you know, we want our ceiling to be our children's floor, meaning where, where I end in my life, I want my child to continue on. You know, I don't want them to have to go through all the mistakes I made. I want them to learn. I want them to have, you know, the right knowledge of who God is in their life and what he can do with them so that they don't have to waste years. Right. That's, that's our desire as parents for our children, but it takes, like you said, possessing the land where you're at overcoming things that will be a burden to them down the road and and breaking it. And a lot of times it's breaking it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes there are demons at play that are are influencing you to do certain things that need to be broken. And so to having wisdom and discernment to know what is affecting your family, you know, why is there strife? Why is there uh, anger? Why is there rage? Why is there unforgiveness? Why Why are these things happening? Even if you're used to them and you've gone through them for 10 years, ask the why question. How can I break this? This is not God's will for me. This is not the blessing that is my inheritance in Jesus. How can I break that by the power of the Holy Spirit? Man, absolutely. God's after generations. Yeah. You know, it's not just about your you and your little sin and being a good person. Mm-hmm. God is wanting godly generations. for. Ge- you look at the Bible, it is a multi-generational call. Yeah. God is looking for some man or woman to say, this generate I'm turning the tide on on maybe what I inherited and this going forward will be blessed godly it, you know walk with integrity all the things maybe your last name is not known for today but can be known for in the future yeah and that's true you know we uh 
it's easy to hide those sins you think no one else knows about, you know, and uh, the besetting sins that you do repent for and then go back and do them the next day. And I've been there too, believe me. And I, I like how you call these a breach in the wall of your mm-hmm. life. You know, just, just a little sliver that gives the enemy an access point. Uh, yeah. Talk about that a little bit in, in kind of the, that analogy and how we can, you know, shore up our walls, if you will, to, to not give the enemy a foothold. Yeah, I think that the wall analogy, it, you, you read in the Bible, you, they talk about city without walls. You know, how tragic it is there is a city without walls. That means it's open season on whoever lives in that city. Yeah. There's no protection. But God and family structures sets up parents and, and, and fathers and mothers. Uh, and I would just speaking to, to fathers as walls around your family or around those that God's entrusted to you. Mm-hmm. And within those walls, there should be peace. There should be room. There should be not people looking over their shoulder, worried about somebody barging in and, and, and taking advantage of, of them in any way. And it just should be peaceful. Now, outside the walls can be battle. Outside of the wall can be intensity. Outside of the wall can be dealing with whatever's coming. And uh, and that's kind of like the role of a dad. You know, you're wanting to create this incredibly beautiful, protected environment, but you may be doing great warfare that nobody knows about. And um, so that's the wall analogy. Now, either through the wrecking ball of your past, meaning that you had it had nothing to do with you. It wasn't your fault. It something happened to you. It was done to you. That's like a wrecking ball on in this wall. So when you become a dad or you get entrusted with a wife, there's this huge gaping hole in the wall. You're supposed to be protected, but there's a hole. Or there can be a, a, a hole because of your own sin. It's your yeah. own choices. It's you tearing down some aspect of your life, saying in this area. It's completely open access. The enemy can get in at any time. Yeah. So a breach in the wall is really an access point for the enemy for, for to you and for those that God has entrusted to you. And I hate to use this analogy, but I've seen it so many times. If you've ever been in a church where any of the leadership has been in sexual sin, you will find that the, there are many, many people in sexual sin in that church, mm. be, it, uh, be it adultery or, or, you know, sleeping outside of marriage or whatever. And you're like, why is there so much sexual sin in this church? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the person in the wall has a breach. Yeah. And nobody's talking about it, but there's evidence everywhere there's a breach. Yeah. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't been in that church, I pray you, you never do. Uh, but I've been in those environments and it comes out, oh, so-and-so was having such-and-such go on. And, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. God honors the wall structure. So it's our responsibility with like Nehemiah, with people that would help with us to rebuild that wall, to make it strong and say, this, this access point is closed off. No more, no more free reign on my kids or my wife or my family. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good way to look at sin. You know, instead of thinking, well, it's just, I'm pretty good. Most of the time I'm just, you know, maybe half an hour a day I'm sinning. Uh, If you think of it that way, you know, think of the wall structure or even just your house, you know, my house is secure. I'm just going to leave a window open for anybody to come in whenever they want. That's not a secure house. Even if the rest of the house is totally good and secured, that one window is all it takes for someone to come in uh, into an environment where they can just have free reign. And so we don't want to give the enemy free reign in our lives, in our territories, in our families. We want to be able to shore up 
the fortified uh, defenses so that uh, number one, we're protecting our children because when we send them out daily and also when they are grown up, you know, they have to be able to fend for themselves and they're going to look at the examples we give them and hopefully create walls for their own families, hopefully to to know what it was like to be in that environment of protection and to want the same thing for their children. And even if they're not, you know, they can, they can want better for their children, but as parents, we want the buck to stop with us. We want to be able to shore up uh, both generational sins and habitual sins that sneak in. And uh, it's so easy to justify sins, but you know, I've, I've had a heart just for repentance because I think that leads to revival uh, along with prayer. And so just the American church at large is such a, a movement of not talking about holiness or repentance, you know, come to Christ and he'll forgive you for the rest of your life. And then he loves you no matter what you do. Like these kinds of messages get polluted where we can just think that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm better than the average person instead of what is God won for me. How do I understand his heart? How do I grow in a relationship with him? And that takes repenting. You know, I use this analogy too with kids. You know, my son, when he when he misbehaves, you know, the, the other night he went to bed and uh, he had a problem, uh, you know, and so he, he lost some things, went to bed kind of on a sour note. And he, on his own, before he went to sleep, came downstairs and apologized to us. And it wasn't just an apology like an apology to get something back. It was a heartfelt apology. And that's what you want from your kids. You want them to come to you and say, say that they're sorry when they uh, do something wrong because you know what's best for them. You know that that's not their best and you want that for them. But at the same time, my son's sonship in our household was never at stake. You know, Just because in that moment, I was upset. I wanted him to apologize I wasn't going to kick him out of the family. You know, his sonship was still secure. And as Christians, we have to understand that our inheritance in Christ is secured. But at the same time, we can grieve our heavenly father when we sin. And he wants us to come to repentance so that he can restore us and have the best plans for us when we're walking in his statutes. And so I I just love that analogy because I lived it. Yeah, well, and I think that the, the litmus test for anybody who's heard who's listening is what's the environment like in your house? Right? And and if it's characterized by by strife and and, and constant tension and and just a lot of things that you say, well, that doesn't seem very biblical. Yeah. You know, you can say, Lord, is there any breaches that I'm unaware of? Yeah. You know, that that may be giving access points in in like I think of grievances, like a, a, a grievance you have against someone that you won't let go of. And you just think, oh, well, who, how's that going to affect my family? Nobody even knows I have it. Right. Devil knows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> God knows. Yeah. That leads to a root of bitterness before you know it. It just grows out of control. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to end on on the question of just, you know, everyday discernment, just practical advice for parents who are listening on how they can make decisions every day that both honor God and making good decisions for their family. Just some practical steps. There's there's thousands of decisions we make, but just what what would you say for how we can have discernment in our family specifically? Yeah. So I think that um, uh, honoring honoring listening to one another. Mm. Um, uh, the, like think of a discipline situation. Like there might be a time when. You know, what you do is you always discipline. That's just consistency. It's, if there's something, there's an infraction, there's going to be discipline. But there might be times when one of the, or the other spouse would say, no, here is a good time for mercy. Mm. And so being able to be honoring of each other in this spouse area when it comes to how you parent 
Yeah. Uh, that's one way to have good discernment because it might just be, it's time. God is merciful to us. You right. know, he doesn't throw the hammer down every time we, we misstep. Yeah. It's just not his nature. He will. Um, and he doesn't always, you know, I mean, <laughs> he's a just God, but, yeah. but there's a balance. And so that would be one practical advice I do. Uh, I think the other thing is that, um, I mean, script, you just cannot investing time for you to know scripture when it, when you need it the most, when mm. you got to make that call, you got to make that decision. What is the right thing to do in this situation? How do you handle a conflict with a neighbor kid or whatever, you know, some weird yeah. situations that families can get in a scripture that you've been studying uh, can, the Holy Spirit can remind you of those scriptures to give you guidance on what to do when you don't know what to do. Yeah. And a lot of times the Holy Spirit can't pull from a resource that you never, you know, from a bank, you never put any deposits in. It's true. Right. Put deposits in, learn the word of God, spend time with it. And when you need it, you'll be able to draw from that. I love that. You know, I call discernment spirit infused decision-making for that very reason is because we make not just great decisions in our, in our own mind, but because of the Holy spirit in us can quicken things to us in the moment that we need it. And a lot of that comes from the foundation in the Bible, like you said, where not just memorizing scripture, but reading scripture, even if we think it goes at one ear in one ear and out the other, the Holy spirit can bring things back to us. Like you said. So I love that. Yeah. Well, Troy, thanks so much for coming on. This is the end of our time, but I want to let want to allow you to let everyone know where they can connect with you, get your resources and your new book. Yeah, absolutely. So my let's start with the new book. So you can get Fatherhood Faceplants on Amazon. And uh, that's where it's being sold. So yeah, most people <laughs> buy books from Amazon. Yeah. And uh, as far as like to find out about the podcast or any of the other kind of projects I have going on, uh, just go to troymangum.com. It's M-A-N-G-U-M dot com and you'll find all the things i get myself involved in and you can kind of check it out very cool i'll put that stuff in the show notes and thank you so much for coming on god bless you and your ministry and your family thanks tim thank you so much troy for coming on the podcast if you enjoyed this podcast please check out the links to his resources as well as leave a review share it with a friend that goes a long way in promoting this to more and more people if you did pick up a copy of my devotional eyes on jesus please leave me a review on amazon i would greatly appreciate it And for next week, I'm extremely excited to announce to you, I have Frank Turek coming on the program. You probably know him from I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. He has a radio program and a book. He's a very, very, very smart apologist, and he's going to be on the show next week. So until then, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad at outlook.com. Until next time. Keep fighting the good fight.